Live from the NixCast Phanthropological Institute, it's the NixCast Christmas Special! Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 12 of Phanthropological, the podcast where we uh, investigate the why of fandom and get the fan's eye view on what they love so much. Today, appropriately, in episode 12, we're talking about fans of Christmas. But here with me to do that, standing knee-deep in eggnog, is my best friend, T. I will be playing the role of Bill Murray this week <laughs> in, uh, in my one of my favorite Christmas movies. <laughs> Gee, I, I hear you volunteered to be our Clark Griswold. Uh, I will do that, yes. As long Perfect. as I get that toboggan ride. Perfect. <laughs> and covered in his entirety in a Santa hat is Z. <laughs> it's, it's a really oversized, oversized Santa hat. I don't know how I got in there, but here I am. It's not important how you get in there. Ready to go, like John Candy in Home Alone, riding in the back of a moving van with a bunch of uh, brass players. Polka brass players. Polka, yes, polka brass players. Did I forget that John Candy was in Home Alone? He saves Kevin's mom. Yeah. He takes her back to wherever they live. Chicago. Apparently, I Chicago? not. Yeah, I've, yeah Chicago. it's a John Hughes movie, so it's, <laughs> so it's, it's, it's like Miss, Misk, Illinois. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, SCTV people stick together. Yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, as as G mentioned, this week we are talking about fans of Christmas, which seems redundant some of the time, and that some of the time being this time of year. More specifically, I mean, I don't even know. Usually, I say the introduction, and I and I'm just like, I mean, how do you not know this? We're just talking about people who are fans of the Christmas season, not just during the Christmas season. We're talking about people who are fans year-round. Christmas lights decorated all over the place, up all year, on all year, decorations everywhere, eggnog, Christmas music, the whole shebang. 365. 365. Yeah. New Year's Day, Christmas Day. <laughs> Arbor Day, Christmas Day. You gotta take a week off, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> Exaggerating a little bit, but we're talking about people who are so devoted and interested in the holiday season that they vow to make it a part of their everyday life. So one thing, talking about Christmas, that I was really interested in, and this seems kind of goofy, but I was really interested in this. First thing I wanted to look up is where does the tradition of the ugly Christmas sweater come from? <laughs> so my first bit of trivia comes from that. Apparently, Christmas jumpers or Christmas sweaters are actually a long tradition. But the part I was more interested in is, when did we start this tradition of having an ugly sweater? Unsurprisingly, I found out that Bill Cosby is a modern-day pioneer of the trend of ugly sweaters mm -hmm. in general. Um, but apparently that, that, that kind of like came up in the 80s and early 90s and then faded. And then it wasn't until 2001... Where there was a noticeable uptick in ugly sweater parties. Uh, from a book, Ugly Christmas Sweater Party Book, The Definitive Guide to Getting Your Ugly On. Huh. So, unsurprisingly, it's a it's a recent trend. And 
people being super ironic and things like that. I feel like I was around before it really got going, so... When you said it was old, I was like, oh, I've just never noticed. Yeah, I mean, I, I hadn't been invited to an ugly Christmas sweater party until this year. The vision I have in my head is like, you know, somebody's aunts made them this this ridiculous Christmas sweater. It's got tinsel hanging off it. And like, I like all kinds of ridiculous huge images of like baubles or Santa Claus or reindeer or something. And you wore it to be polite. Like Ralphie in A Christmas Carol when he wears the bunny suit. Yeah. Uh, right. I, it, I think that now that is that might have been that might have been the start of it, but it's just that at this point in history people are literally inventing ugly sweaters. Oh yeah. It's and but what I was gonna say is the reason why it's embarrassing, because it's like if you do if you do like those sweaters, it's you're saying you're kind of declaring your love for Christmas, are you not? I would you're say saying so. Yeah. It's more important to me to share my love of this holiday than it is for me to look cool. <laughs> Which is like, gets right to the heart of fandom. Yeah. But now it's, as you say, it's flipped. And people are now making Christmas sweaters in order for them to be, quote, ugly Christmas sweaters. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. that's the thing they have to be. Yeah. We will stand up for the classy Christmas sweaters. <laughs> is there just such like, a thing? Just like a little reindeer where the crocodile would normally go on a polo ah. shirt. People who stand up for that are the fashionistas of the day, G. That's right. <laughs> the heroes. The real heroes. Well, inter interesting <laughs> bit about that. Apparently, um, that was part... The uh, whole move to the ugly Christmas sweater was also partly sparked by... Um, where is it? There was something about the time, the time period and uh, knit being really popular in fashion. Hmm. Let's see. I'll see if I can find that quote while people... Here we go. Outside of pop culture, the sweater's current popularity can also be linked to trends on the runway. Fair Isle Knits have been popular this season, as well as Tribal Prints, both featured both... Okay, yeah. Yep. That was... This article was from, like, five years ago. So, that could have explained it then. Not sure about the lasting trend of the ugly sweater other than time and continued interest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Well, at some point, it had to just become such a common gift from an aunt or a grandmother that everybody could relate, and then it took off from there. Yeah, it became a commonality before it became a trend, right? Yeah. If there was one person in the world sending their their grandchild these sweaters, it would never have taken off. But now, although uh, another thing that really took off after uh, a bit of a rocky start was the aforementioned A Christmas Story movie. Ah. In fact, it's actually taken off so much that in Chicago, there is a a Christmas Story House Foundation, which is a nonprofit charity that was set up to help preserve the house where the movie was was based, as well as the neighborhood around it, because it's it's got historic value because it's full of houses that were built in the 1930s, 40s around there which is the time when the, the author of that story and the narrator was growing up and actually experiencing all the things that little Ralphie gets up to on screen. Huh. Yeah. I found out about that because I came across this, uh, this little article about an auction where you can enter to win the chance, well, enter to win a two-night stay in the house where it all happened. 
Ooh. Is it is it decked out all Christmassy? Mm. Apparently it's it's part museum as well as part house. So the lamp must be in there. It's in there somewhere for sure. <laughs> right in the window. <laughs> that is the ideal location. A shining beacon for us all. <laughs> oh. It is a major reward, you know. <laughs> it's Italian. <laughs> in my research unrelated to uh to that movie and that museum i uh i came across the most popular christmas song of the modern era can either of you guess what it is the most popular christmas song of the modern era yeah what, what Gee, we... you in retail you've you've probably been listening to a lot of christmas music i i guarantee i've probably heard whatever this is what are we oh, i'm sure you have what are we considering the modern era uh ooh, give me a moment okay I mean, let's say since 1978, arbitrarily. Okay. I mean, I'll also give context to the answer, but make yeah, a guess. Yeah, okay. Mm. I want to say the Christmas song. The Christmas song? That, that, that it's, uh, it's been said many times, many ways. Merry Christmas. It's called the Christmas song. All right. Okay. Z, what do you think it is? It has to be Christmas shoes. It's not. Okay. All right. Christmas shoes. So, <laughs> I'll start with you're both wrong, which is my favorite part. Uh, <laughs> and I'll give some context, which will uh, kind of explain the answer a bit more. So, on this article from Time Magazine, um, Time crawled through the records at the U.S. Copyright Office. Uh, which gives digitized registrations going back to 1978 and collected data on every Christmas album recorded since that time. Um, So they they discovered which song showed up on the most number of Christmas albums. They also, and this will be in the show notes, has a a really nice infographic showing whether things are more Jesus or more Santa (laughs) to denote whether or not it's more like religious or whether it's more commercial. Also see the South Park episode on the same subject. <laughs> so the the top song is Silent Night. Yeah. With 733 copyrighted recordings since 1978, <laughs> which is nearly twice as many as second place, which is Joy to the World at 391. Hmm. Wow. Uh, fun fact. At my work, they play Joy to the World by Three Dog Night, nice. which has nothing to do with Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just because it's called Joy to the World. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just I'm looking through the uh, non-religious results to see what some of them are, because they just show up as Christmas balls. <laughs> Simply having a wonderful Christmas time. <laughs> uh, do you hear what I hear? <laughs> Oh, the Christmas song, 254. You weren't actually so far off, G. Okay, okay. See, I know what I'm talking about, kind of. <laughs> I think I saw a Christmas shoot. No, that's blue Christmas. You know what? I'm going to keep <laughs> clicking on the balls. And, uh... um, I don't hear a lot of Silent Night. I guess it's not a really peppy song. They like more upbeat songs in retail. But uh, yeah, I hear the occasional, occasional Silent Night. Since we've touched a little bit on the, uh, the commercial side of Christmas. The what? The what? 
We've we've glanced, we've grazed it, we've uh, we've bumped against it in line, and now it's turned around and looking angrily at us. Whoa! So uh, there's this store in Frankenmuth, Michigan. Yeah, the biggest, the world's biggest Christmas store it operates 365 days a year. It's called Bronner's Christmas Wonderland. Wow! It is the size of five and a half football fields. The electric bill runs them $900 a day. What? Because apparently, along with all the lights and everything else, they have 800 animated figures, you know, like little robotic figurines going all the time. Wow. And usually they average out about 2 million visitors per year. And this place is so iconic that in 1976, Michigan actually said, okay, it's official, Bronner's Christmas Wonderland is an embassy for Michigan tourism. Wow. Yeah. I'm trying to find a utility bill, like, by comparison, put that in (laughs) in context. (laughs) Must be worth it for them. Keep the lights on. Yeah. Okay, so in my extremely haphazard research, uh, it looks like hydro bills, which is what we call electricity bills here in Ontario. Yep. Uh, average about thirty to fifty dollars per month in some place in Toronto. So you know, just nine hundred times more than oh my goodness, a Jeez. person. Uh, fun facts about Frankenmuth. Yeah, one of the places I've actually been get to be part of this week's episode. Um, I don't. We we went on a family trip. Uh, I don't remember to, why to Frankenmuth, we, Michigan. Yeah, it was one of the stops. We went to Sault Ste. Marie. Because we wanted to drive all the way around the, the I guess, what, Lake Huron? Yep. It's Lake Huron, right? Yep. So we went to Fort Mackinac, which is like a, um, it's like a recreation of a, an earlier time. Mm-hmm. It was like a fort. Anyway. Uh, and then we went to Frankenmuth exclusively to stop at Bronner's Christmas Wonderland. <laughs> because it's opened, like my mom, huge fan of Christmas. Don't know if she's like the type of fan we're talking about today, but big fan. And uh, we went to Bronner's Christmas Wonderland, and I remember just being tired and wandering through <laughs> this absolutely gigantic store. Man. And, like, having tons and tons of checkout aisles. Wow. Before, like, proceeding. Actually, what happened? We got there, like, an hour before it closed, so we had to rush wow. through the whole thing. Because our next stop was, uh, like, Six Flags, Ohio or something. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, but it is ridiculous. It is huge. I'm picturing like Bass Pro Shops or Cabela's or something. But <laughs> In your researches, did either of you come across any word of the famed Christmas parades in Madrid? Madrid? Yes. Not the Madrid you're thinking of, though. I'm thinking of Madrid, Spain. Madrid, Florida? No! I'm just making I'm just making random guesses now. You're both wrong. <laughs> Madrid, New Mexico. Ah. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Which was originally a mining town, quite prosperous, and very well known for its Christmas parades, so much so that Walt Disney himself marveled at them. But then the mine closed down, the town turned into a ghost town, and it wasn't until the 1970s when hippies and wanderers revived it that they also... Revived the Christmas parade with marching dogs, roaming children, uh, shot up beater cars, 
residents in their own costumes in the treasured Christmas yak. So it sounds like they just used whatever was around. Yep. And marched down. It sounds the street. like a like yep. a Christmas Burning Man. <laughs> <laughs> actually, that's probably pretty accurate. Without the Burning Man, it's a good idea. Actually, yeah. Happy Dear Christmas Burning, burning Man. man. <laughs> they could burn a Christmas tree instead. <laughs> I mean, there's lots well, of them. You could probably build a giant Christmas tree out of defunct Christmas trees. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> man, oh man. Dear Burning Man. Do I have an idea for you? <laughs> Not the building Christmas trees out of old Christmas trees part, but the burning old Christmas trees thing was a apparently a thing that Hunter S. Thompson would do. Just him? Well, I mean, he would be at his cabin, and uh, he would just take the old Christmas tree and like throw it in the fireplace, squirt you know maybe two bottles or so of, of a fire starter on it, and then just let it blaze. How big is his fireplace? Not big enough for a tree. <laughs> oh jeez <laughs> also does it say how soon after christmas this was no christmas day <laughs> that's it <laughs> all right so i'm gonna ask a question to you to you folks because mm-hmm. uh it's the holiday season. No, that's not That's not why I'm asking the question. I'm asking the question because we are on a podcast about Christmas fans. And I was wondering, you know, why Why is it that people do this? Obviously, you know, when it's the holiday season, people are interested in spreading cheer and well wishes and getting into the spirit of it, just like any other holiday, like Halloween or whatnot. But mm-hmm. we're not talking about those kinds of people. So why? why is it? That people get so fanatical about Christmas. Well, as you said, you know, the warm feelings, the generosity, the presents, the eggnog. I'm not a nog guy, but some people like nog. If it's homemade, uh, it can be really good. Yeah. Um, I don't know. For some people, that that fuzzy feeling doesn't go away. You know, if they if they get in touch with Christmas at non-Christmas times of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we'll sit down and like, like that's what it, that was was what was apparent to me. It's all the feelings. All, everybody, you know, talks about feeling at Christmas, but they they are able to draw draw even more strength and even more good vibes from it uh, when it's nowhere near Christmas. Yeah, I came across a, a similar sort of sentiment in my research, um, particularly you know as I was scouring Reddit and I. You know, I was looking around to try to find out the why there. And I came across a few posts that were basically uh, people saying, I really love Christmas, but, you know, I'll have all this energy building up and building up and building up and I'll do all this Christmassy stuff, all this excitement. But then it's December and I'm burnt out. But then January 1st, I'm right back into it. Whoa. So it's it seems like some people are just so into it that their expectations for what's going to happen are so high and the reality is just can't match that. So one of the, actually one of the helpful Redditors in this thread mentioned that it's a good idea to, that if that's the case, uh, plan things out, pick a few Christmas movies, pick a few Christmas foods, and just, you know, dedicate Christmas to that stuff. So you've got something concrete to look forward to, not just a bunch of decorations and lights. Yeah, I mean, 
you you know it's coming. Yeah. Right. Unlike in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, Christmas is unlikely to be canceled. (laughs) 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 Um, So like, you know, it's coming. So like it's something you can just stick on at the end of your calendar. It's probably already on your calendar. Probably. And, but, but just like uh, take off the days. The next one you can plan. Oh yeah. You can watch, you can watch a Christmas movie a month and be like, Oh, I can't wait till it's that time again. Yeah. You know, it's like, like any other fandom, you know, Game of Thrones isn't just people don't love it just when it's the ten weeks that it's on TV. Yeah. Well, also yeah. Game of Thrones has an end. I mean, yes. Once he writes it, I no. I mean, like, I heard <laughs> yeah. on the yes, it, yeah, it, it will end. Yeah, the show. Yeah, like next season. If you're hearing it here first, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, but it's. Gonna I mean, end. this is supposed to be a happy time, a joyful time. Well, but but even further than that, um, even when it ends, people can still enjoy Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah. Uh, yes, revisit it won't, be, it. it won't be something like annual like it is now or perpetual as is the case with Christmas, Christmas or Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, you can always you can always go back to it. And because Christmas it's either happening or it's coming up. Yeah. Those are the two options. You can be excited for it coming up or celebrate it happening. <laughs> There's a great opportunity to be in a constant state of excitement for it. Yeah. Although there were also some people mentioning that, you know, once it finally happens, once December 26th rolls around and the big day's over, it can be pretty depressing because of all that, that happiness is just, you know, done for the year and they realize that the snow is still outside i depending on the part of the world that you live in yes yeah like christmas fans don't have to live in north america or the uk or (laughs) europe no just when you mentioned that you know people get kind of depressed it just it actually reminded me of the nightmare before christmas oh well you know jack skellington is like you know, I, I'd feel something empty, something in my bones that's missing, and you know, then he steals Christmas. But yeah. like ignoring that for <laughs> Halloween, everybody else was like super excited. Cool, we've got a whole year to, to plan the to next plan one. Next so, one. So your advice to everybody out there who gets depressed after Christmas: <laughs> steal Valentine's Day. <laughs> hey, interesting fact yeah. that I just remembered because you brought it up. In Japan, Ooh. Christmas is a romantic holiday. Oh, interesting. Also, KFC is a big yeah. thing. Cause he, is it because he kind of looks like Santa? I would imagine so. I feel like that's what, what the connection is. I think it actually has roots in like this, in like uh, expat communities being in, in Japan over Christmas in like the 70s, 80s, and not really having access to turkeys. So fried chicken's the next best thing. And they would order that, and then somehow that just grew into this weird cultural phenomenon over in Japan where people pre-order KFC like a month in advance (laughs) for Christmas Day. Well, maybe it's a few weeks in advance, but still, they pre-order it. So our our theory for this, the next cast theory on this is that less than 0.5% of the Japanese population in the 70s and 80s ordered fried chicken, and now Japan loves it at, at Christmas. Yeah, somehow it caught on. Cool. I'll okay. Well, here's here's back. an article. 
that probably refutes that. Um, Frontsmithsmoneyandmag.com. Why Japan is obsessed with Kentucky Fried Chicken on Christmas. Thanks to the successful Kurismasu Niwa Kentucky, Kentucky for Christmas, marketing campaign in 1974, Japan can't get enough KFC on Christmas Day. Good, good job, marketers. <laughs> Almost as successful as Coca-Cola and uh, <laughs> convincing people that Santa Claus is uh, depicted by you. A bucket of Christmas chicken is the go-to meal on the big day. When a group of foreigners couldn't find turkey on Christmas Day and opted for fried chicken instead, the company saw this as a prime commercial opportunity and launched its first Christmas meal that year. Chicken and wine for 2,920 yen. Ten bucks. Pretty pricey for the mid-70s. Not bad. Today, the Christmas chicken dinner, which now boasts cake and champagne, goes for about 40 bucks. So we're both kind of right. All right. Well, taking it back a little bit, so... In Nightmare Before Christmas, though, Jack Skellington and the crew only have to do that once a year. If you are an absolute fanatic about Christmas, if you are a Christmas enthusiast, then it's a little bit different because you celebrate Christmas on Christmas Day, and then you can look forward to 364 days of celebrating, and I can see that being very exhausting. (laughs) It sounds kind of exhausting. I mean, you'd have to temper yourself, or... Find other people online who are as nuts about Christmas as you are. Perhaps you would go to Christmas Expo in the middle of July. <laughs> hey, that's perfect. Christmas in July. <laughs> in Nashville, Tennessee. Oh, wow. That sounds like the right place for that. Christmas Expo is three jelly days of decorating ideas and education to help light your way to your best outdoor holiday display. It is mainly focused huh. on uh, Christmas decoration. Interesting. Homeowners, whether your display is small or growing, large-scale commercial decorators, 60 class sessions, a vendor hall, light-o-rama, two-day pre-show workshop. Oh, so yeah, so it's it's about the skill of Christmas decorating. Cool. And I also found a couple of different companies who just put up Christmas lights for people. Really? Yep. Man, oh man. The lightnights.ca. <laughs> Ooh. L-I-G-H-T... K-N-I-G-H-T-S dot C-A. And they have a little little article on their site called The Christmas Enthusiast. Oh, this, okay. is a, this is servicing Vancouver, by the way. Okay. So for all your listeners in Vancouver who are Christmas enthusiasts, you know yeah. where to go. I mean, you probably already knew. <laughs> That's true. That's true. You probably called them already. Yeah. Uh, for, uh, for reference sake, this was posted September 22nd. Uh, what is a Christmas enthusiast, you ask? Simply put, this is someone who spends all year looking forward to the holiday season with ongoing thoughts of how they can take their lighting and decorating to the next level. For some, this passion has turned into a year-round activity. They find themselves searching out those year-round Christmas stores and picking up lights, decorations, and accessories in anticipation of an even more stunning display throughout the holiday season. Not everyone is quite that obsessed. For most of us, we simply love Christmas and can't wait to light up our homes. It's all about anticipation and the joy of the season. Either way, it's a good idea to begin planning early. We can come by any time and assist you in planning a great outdoor display for the holiday season. It's a good idea to begin taking steps to have your lights put up before the winter rainy season is upon us. Again, Vancouver. There are many aspects of your display that you could be enjoying prior to the onset of seasons, such as lights on your trees, pergolas, hanging balls, etc. Why not give us a call and beat the holiday rush? So, there's another avenue. Christmas as a year-round project. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, like turning your house into a wonderment of lights and, and colors. <laughs> mm-hmm. That doesn't surprise me in the slightest. When you think about some of the other fandoms we've talked about so far this year, mm-hmm. or even when you just think about things that you or I are interested in, right? Like, uh, or pe- people that we know. Cosplayers. Cosplay is not a Halloween thing. It is a year-round endeavor. Yes. There's like high seasons and low seasons, but like it's all year. And I'm sure that when you talk about well, I, any other fandom, I guess there's just less celebratory stuff. They're still decorating. Oh, yeah. If you're a fan of Harry Potter, you probably have one of like a Hufflepuff or Gryffindor or Slytherin or Ravenclaw, you know, tie yeah. or bath towel scarf or, or something scarf yeah oh yeah you're a fan of fan of doctor who you probably well the most iconic thing i can think of is either the sonic screwdriver or, or the scarf yep you probably do have one of those things yeah. yeah but i mean like other fandoms decorating is just part and parcel because in that case it's about showing off your fandom showing off that this is a thing that i'm interested in mm-hmm. and proudly displaying it christmas is a is i guess a bit I wouldn't. No, I guess it's not ambiguous. You don't usually have Christmas lights up all year round unless you're a <laughs> fan of Christmas, or if you just. Sorry, I'm reminded of a country song right now. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Yeah, <laughs> um, I know. But the thing is, a lot of people do these things without being as enthusiastic about them. Like most people, they maybe as they say most, but a lot of people will have Christmas lights up. Yeah. On their house. Like just just for the season, for it's Christmas time, put your lights up. Yeah. So then, instead of becoming, look at this thing that I like, it's like, it, it's it almost necessarily becomes comparative. Like you have to outdo everyone who's not as enthusiastic as you <laughs> about Christmas. Yeah. Well, I direct everybody to a program called The Great Christmas Light Fight. Oh boy! What that I watched last year. <laughs> that is insane. Uh, it's it's literally that. People with these huge yards and huge <laughs> houses putting lights and you know statues and trains Jeez. and inflatable things and and stuff that goes ho 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 and like all that and sing songs and all that crazy stuff. Wow. Did did the winning house just light up the neighborhood around it as if it were daylight? Basically, the thing I remember the most is them having a yard that, like, when the camera was showing, like, the front part of the yard, you couldn't see the back. It was, like, Christmas decorations <laughs> all the way back for a really, really long time. Wow. Hopefully we've gotten better electrical know-how after the after lessons of Christmas vacation. If one of those bulbs is out, though, oh, man. <laughs> Not no mo. On a different tangent, uh, I find like Christmas technology very fascinating. Mm-hmm. I'm sure one or both of you have seen some of the displays that people have set up on their houses where they have it synchronized to music. You can like drive up to the house and put on your AM, <laughs> FM radio and like watch these synchronized light to uh, music combos. Man, yeah. Those are pretty impressive. But also just like regular Christmas tech has gotten really advanced. First of all, like Christmas lights are not all in series now. So if a bulb goes out, they're not all done. Also, they're LED bulbs. So you buy a strand of lights and you don't need to replace them in like 20 years. That's nice. Yeah. That's that's probably easier on the wallet of Christmas fans. 
That's true. Also not made of glass, so they don't shatter. <laughs> Man, yeah. just gets better and better. <laughs> yeah. But how would Home Alone have gone? <laughs> uh, sadistic boy would have found other ways to torture the girl. <laughs> like whip them with strings of LED lights or something. One of the aspects of the lighting situation, people lighting up their houses, lighting up you know, inside and out, lighting up trees and that sort of thing. Um, one of the things that I was noticing as I was reading through various threads about, you know, why, why do you like Christmas? What do you like about Christmas so much? Um, a lot of it came back down to just how the inside of people's houses was transformed into this warm, cozy space while everything outside was cold and or snowy. Mm. A lot of people actually mentioned that uh, one of their favorite things to do was to turn off all of the regular lights and sit, I guess, in their in their living rooms with either a fire going in the fireplace or uh, the, the tree, the Christmas tree, lit up. And that being the only light source in the room. I can definitely see the appeal of that. Oh, yeah. It's like, it's very di- like it's a very different experience, right? Yeah. From, like, I don't know, any other time of the year. Yeah. Well, like, you know, like, when else would you have, like, a bunch of different colors of lights <laughs> beaming out of your room? Uh-huh. Or Mar- Mardi Gras? Possibly Mardi Gras, if you put up a Mardi I'm, Gras tree. I'm stretching. I'm thinking about this. <laughs> <laughs> or if your house is big and you throw raves or have concerts <laughs> uh, often. Or you could just put one of those fireplace DVDs on. Yeah. They have them on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Oh, thank goodness. I think it was last year that... Uh, is Nick Offerman on Parks and Recreation? Yes. Yes. They released a updated video of that. with It had him sitting in front of the fireplace. Just like... <laughs> I think he's drinking like a glass... I don't know. He's just like probably being, whiskey. quote, it's probably, manly. He's as probably he... drinking a scotch or something. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just an updated... Uh, style for an old classic. <laughs> usually, it doesn't show a person. No, no, not usually. Just straight right. log. Yeah. <laughs> Christmas log being broadcast over all major <laughs> television stations on Christmas Day. My favorite part is that everyone has like a different one. Like they all paid different companies to yeah. get a different log recording. Yeah, some are better than others. <laughs> <laughs> Some have more sparks. I mean, do you prefer do you prefer to also have music? Ooh, that's true. No music, please. Yeah, I would. I prefer some light music, but I'd also want to be able to hear the sound of the fireplace. I mean, what's the point otherwise? Yeah, exactly. That crackle. Gotta have the crackle. Yeah. I mean, I'd have no music and then put my own music on. That would work as well. Like my own Christmas music, but. Okay. Of, of my selection. So, like, tubular bells is going to be playing over this? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what I find really interesting about Christmas fandom is that it blurs this line. And we've talked in the past about fandoms having unclear boundaries um, mm-hmm. in terms of things like, you know, what is or isn't a fan. The biggest example that comes to mind is something like uh, the Maple Leafs fans, which we talked about earlier this season. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, what's different from Maple Leafs fans, from sports fans, and, you know, hockey fans from other sports fans and things like that. 
For Christmas fans, what's interesting is that it's incredibly subtle because there is a time of year when you would not notice because some people are just very interested in a particular holiday. Mm -hmm. And near that holiday, they participate very readily. Halloween, Christmas, Valentine's Day, Independence Day in America, or um, Canada Day in Canada. Mm -hmm. But uh, the rest of the year, it's not so apparent. And so it's like a very subdued fandom. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things that you just carry with you every day, kind of. Yeah, yeah. A lot of it's like personal. Like it's you. You might be listening to Christmas music, or watching a Christmas movie. That's, yeah. that's not very outward. Occasionally, when we go to cons, you will see a Santa. Wait, really? Have you? Yep. Oh well, not, I have not. not necessarily once close to Christmas either. Oh, yeah. I think of other fandoms as almost being like a, one of a couple different routes, right? Uh, for some people, cosplay is like this double life where you'd never know. <laughs> yes. For other people like sports fans, it's just part of their life in a very apparent way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, Christmas fandom, not not either of those. Well, the thing is, uh, like with Christmas... Like, Christmas did it, right? They got there. We're, <laughs> we're doing Christmas. Yep. Christmas fans are not the only Christmas participants. Mm-hmm. Like, lots of people participate in Christmas. Yeah. And a few go that extra. So it's not like, it's not like a yes, no, do you like this? It's like, to what degree? Yeah. So even if you, if you saw someone with a Christmas sweater in, like, March... Would it seem that out of place? I mean, if you're in California, yeah, that <laughs> could be really out of place. <laughs> it's going to be hot. 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 Hot, hot, hot. Uh, I mean, you're talking about, like, none of it? It's like, yeah, maybe <laughs> sweaters year-round is your jam. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't have to be a Christmas sweater. No, no I guess that's true. I think that's what sets the enthusiasts apart, though, that... It might be something incredibly personal for them. It might be something that, you know, they just kind of mingle with uh, other people interested in Christmas year-round on the internet, and that's pretty much it, except for around Christmas time. But they're not, not necessarily, anyway, shy about expressing it or showing it in, in some way, whether it's listening to Christmas music in April or watching um, explicitly Christmas movies, not just Die Hard but explicitly Christmas movies <laughs> the in like September. Christmas movie. <laughs> Take that, Die Hard. <laughs> Feedback Z at thenextcast.com. Yep. Whoa. Tell, right. them about, Whoa. tell them about Die Hard, everyone. G is dropping bombs on this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta deal with all the hate mail from last episode. <laughs> I've never seen Die Hard. What? Wait, really? Really? None of them? No. Oh. All you need to know is that Yesterday they were men without a country. Tomorrow they'll have to decide which country they want to buy. That's the tagline to Die Hard. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um. Oh wow! Just wow. <laughs> So I'm looking for some uh, fan comments on on Christmas. I found uh, a celebrity fan of Christmas. That being uh, WWE wrestler and Hall of Famer Mick Foley. 
Oh, hey. hey. A.K.A. Mankind, A.K.A. Dude Love, A.K.A. Cactus Jack, <laughs> A.K.A. Santa Claus. What? what? Um, so he talks about his experiences in becoming a Santa. And he was featured in a documentary, I think it's called I Am Santa Claus, a couple years hmm. ago. <laughs> what? Like a, yep. a mall Santa? Um, we'll find out. Ooh. Okay, <clears throat> this, is for, this is for Slate.com. Four years ago, I got my first assignment from Slate, writing a review of The Wrestler. I loved the movie, but I was far less enthusiastic about what Sports Illustrated's Adam Duerson wrote after spotting me in an advance meet. This is by McFoley, by the way. I don't know if I mentioned that. Okay. It's not just about him, it's by him. <laughs> Finding dignity in retirement can be tricky, even for the greats, Durson wrote, describing me as one decidedly homeless-looking fellow. <laughs> he, went <on> to note, <laughs> he went on to note that I was carrying a duffel bag that contained a Santa Claus suit that Foley was going to wear at a Twisted Sister concert later that night. He's not broke, he explained, but he's still making appearances on the road at least ten days a month. Much like another beloved Christmas icon, the Grinch, I puzzled and puzzled until my puzzler was sore. <laughs> that was it. The Santa outfit. That's why I thought I was having trouble finding dignity in retirement. Never find that I'd had the Santa gig in my book, a free gig, mind you, for almost a year ever since personal friend D. Snyder, Twisted Sister's frontman, asked me to do it. I'd get over to the part where Sports Illustrated's readers might jump to the false conclusion that I was a down-on-my-luck loser. The part that nagged me is that anyone would see a gig as, as Santa Claus to be anything but dignified. I'm a Christmas fanatic. There's a year-round Christmas room in my house populated with decorations I've picked up from my yearly excursions to Santa's Village in Jefferson, New Hampshire. I've long jumped at the chance to play St. Mick at book readings, charitable gatherings, and yes, the occasional Twisted Sister show. I've even done some appearances in full Santa garb at various WWE shows. There's nothing I love more than putting on the red suit and spreading Yuletide cheer. But St. Mick is not St. Nick. There's no chance anyone would confuse me for the main man, the big cheese, the head honcho. I've always wondered whether I could pull it off, whether loving Santa Claus is enough to turn you into Santa Claus. Not long ago, I got the chance to find out, and I have the white beard to prove it. The biggest single misconception in the Santa world is that anyone can do it. Give some guy a cheap red suit and fake beard, and he'll be your Saint Nick. It's delusion perpetuated in even the best holiday movies by some talented would-be Santas. Artie Lange, as a department store Santa in Elf, is a fraud so obvious that the scent of beef and cheese leads <laughs> Will Ferrell's buddy to ascertain correctly that he's sitting on a throne of lies. <laughs> While I love certain elements of Billy Bob Thornton's Bad Santa, it's asking an awful lot of any audience to suspend disbelief to the point where Thornton, who bears absolutely no resemblance to any Santa Claus in the history of Santa Claus, would be a sought-after commodity in the Santa community. Even my favorite all-time Christmas program is guilty of spreading the falsity that anyone can be Santa. The 1960 Twilight Zone episode, The Night of the Meek, is just wonderful. In the show, in which Art Carney plays a pedraggled department store Santa who finds a magic bag of presents, is a largely overlooked wonder of the season that has this particular wrestler fighting back tears in front of the Foley kids every December. But Carney himself looks just awful. He's almost literally dragged out of the gutter to play Santa at a decidedly upscale establishment where he sports a threadbare red suit and the type of flimsy cotton beard usually associated with elementary school craft projects. No wonder the Sports Illustrated writer saw my red Santa suit as a sign that I had fallen on hard times. Playing Santa hasn't often been depicted as something one aspires to. Rather, playing Santa was something that one ended up resorting to. That's not how it works for dedicated, real-life Santas. I got to see that up close thanks to Tommy Avalone, the director of an upcoming documentary called I Am Santa Claus. It is now out. This is from two years ago. The five men who Avalon followed for the film insist on having Santa incorporated into their names. Santa Dan, Santa Tim, or Santa Rick. One of them has legally changed his name to Santa Claus. He has a license, passport, everything. Most of them had actually attended some type of Santa school, learning the finer points of ho-ho-hos, sleigh bell jingling, and all that other Santa stuff. 
As part of the film, Avalon wanted me to attend Santa School as well. Unfortunately, I couldn't make the class schedule work with my book tour, leaving the director to offer the next best thing, connect me with a 15-year veteran of the Santa scene, a man who apparently thought he was the real Santa. I asked, him, I asked him if I could speak to Santa, Evelyn told me. He said something about Santa being busy with the elves, then came back a minute later. Obviously the same guy, just using a different voice. <laughs> this, this Santa stuff is starting to weird me out a little bit. Who are these people? But mostly, I was intimidated and afraid. Unsure if I was worthy to put on the red suit. I thought back to my few full Santa appearances for WWE, which upon reflection seemed inauthentic and awful. A collection of over-the-top ho-ho-hos delivered by a man hiding behind a mountain of fake Santa Claus facial hair and wigs. Maybe trying to play the real Santa was asking just a little bit too much of me. Grudgingly, I accepted the home visit. I pulled up to the bright red house with a yard full of colorful decorations. I walked up the steps to Santa's home an hour north of Chicago and waited to see who was on the other side of the door. Hello, Santa, I said. The man who stood before me was considerably bigger than my six foot three, 310 pounds, with snowy shoulder-length hair and a long, flowing, decidedly non-fake beard to match. I had a seat on a couch and was instantly presented with a cup of hot cocoa in an oversized red mug. At first, I played along for Evelyn's camera, acting as if I thought the man of the house was the actual Santa. But within ten minutes, perhaps owing to a combination of sensory overload, unforeseen concussion consequences, and the disarmingly kind, mighty convincing Santa sitting before me, I found myself maybe, just maybe, believing as well. I believed that he believed, and that feeling of belief became infectious. Eventually, he leaned forward, speaking softly. Look, Mick. I know I'm not the real Santa Claus, he confessed, but I believe that God has given me the ability to channel the spirit of the original St. Nicholas so that when I put on the red suit, I become Santa. There it is. That one word that makes all the difference. Become. Good Santas don't play Santa. They become Santa. Through whatever process works for them, channeling, visualizing, imagining, or believing, they leave their body, if only for a moment, and become Father Christmas. It's not as far-fetched as it might seem. Robert De Niro didn't play Vito Corleone or Jake LaMotta. He became them. And while I'm no award-winning actor at my best when I was wrestling, I didn't play Mankind. I became him, and I've got a missing ear and some serious trouble descending staircases to prove it. I'd been around wrestlers when they completely lose sight of where the real person ends and the character begins, and it isn't always pretty. But without that ability to transform, to transcend, to become, then all of it, acting, wrestling, being Santa Claus, is just a whole lot of playing, pretending, make-believe. The Santa I met wasn't crazy at all. He was just a man with a gift. Over the next several days, I kept regular touch with Santa in Chicago. I learned his real name, but don't feel right about using it. I got tips on what Santa should smell like. Peppermint, cinnamon, and what smells to avoid. Onions, garlic, B.O., beef, and cheese. <laughs> <laughs> he told me how he got his cheeks so rosy, how to prevent the sight of hairy, foley forearms, and how to deal with the inevitability of getting peed on. Despite my preparation, I was getting nervous. It was close to my debut appearance at my favorite Christmas haunt, Santa's Village in New Hampshire. I felt a bit more confident after catching a glimpse of my Santa suit. One of the perks of appearing in this documentary was that I got to commission my own Santa get-up, which was hand-sewn by Piers of Philadelphia from a gorgeous burgundy velvet and a stylite selected. More Victorian Santa than classic Santa, fur up the front, or Coca-Cola Santa, buttons up the front. I knew I'd be looking pretty good from neck to toe. The beard was another issue. My options were simple. Dye my real facial hair or go with the fake stuff. Dyeing was a five-hour ordeal, a process I'd been warned that was not without considerable burning, itching, and aromatic displeasure. Alternately, I could throw on the fake beard and be done with it after the visit at Santa's Village. No muss, no fuss, no odor, no itching, no burning, no bleach beard that I have to walk around with in public. But the decision to die or not to die was symbolic of a larger question. Did I want to play Santa or did I want to become him? In the end, it was something that Chicago Santa told me that broke the stalemate. Kids get scared when they don't see a mouth moving. 
I tried on the fake beard and said a few words. I felt like a bad ventriloquist with a huge hair dummy or a white <laughs> version of that strange red Looney Tunes character Gossamer who chased Bugs Bunny through a castle. <laughs> Quite simply, the fake beard made me look scary. Once upon a time, my early WWE days, I would have taken a child crying at the sight of me a tremendous compliment. But as Santa, I wanted to cause cheer, not fear, and as little bawling as possible. If the fake beard took away from the magic of the moment, it simply wasn't an option. I sat down for the five hours of dying. The physical transformation was almost shocking, but the change was more than just physical. From the instant I sat down in the chair, I felt somehow wiser, kinder, more Santa-like. Even my voice was different. Gone was the exaggerated Mickey Rooney as Chris Kingle from Santa Claus's Coming to Town. In its place was a gentler tone, as I intuitively sensed that a meeting with Santa Claus could be a traumatic event for a little one. Every interaction had the potential for both success and failure that marked the best moments of my entering career, the times when I stopped playing a character and actually became that character. If a child was the slightest bit hesitant about taking a seat on my lap, I asked if they might like to stand next to Santa or have mom or dad in the photo. I shared my secrets about my favorite type of cookies, gingerbread, <laughs> and gave Chicago Santa's answer to a request for a horse. If you can feed and clean a neighbor's horse for a year, Santa will think about it next year. <laughs> I watched the eyes of a hesitant youngster filled with wonder as I referred to his grandparents as Memmy and Brumpy, showing the importance of doing one's homework. He even had a beard puller and responded in the way that I'd read about in Santa Sal Lizard's memoir, Being Santa Claus. Ho, 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 that's what helps Santa's beard grow. In the days that followed, I often thought about my time as Santa Claus and how I can keep the spirit of that day alive. I write this on the eve of another Twisted Sister holiday show, one in which I'll be going full Santa in a benefit for Long Islanders most affected by Hurricane Sandy. For this right jolly old elf, nothing could be more dignified. But the moment I find myself thinking about the most was my last interaction at Santa's village, when my family got to see me in all my Santa glory. My wife thought I looked quite handsome. My daughter, 19, curled up in my lap, a wonderful reminder of those Christmas mornings long ago. My two boys, 11 and 9, still believe in Santa, though they're growing more skeptical. The new dad was participating in the documentary, and my youngest had been there for the entire dying process. Neither child thought their father was the real Santa Claus. But I think they believe that I believe, and that feeling of belief has become infectious. Cool. Yeah, that was pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah. The fan of the week that I came up with is actually totally unrelated to any any sort of santa thing as as we'll see in the opening lines I mean, actually. that's okay that's totally yeah. fine good good this isn't the santa fandom guys <laughs> no. maybe next year so this is from reddit from a user named disco 54 and they've add, added a little uh christmas style greeting to their username merry christmas you wonderful old building and loan <laughs> so post is called why do you believe in christmas we all keep posting and contributing to the subreddit about christmas but nobody from what i've seen has actually said why they believe in christmas i'm not talking about santa i'm talking about christmas that one time of year that people change they act like people they hope they could be the whole year round i'm going to tell you a true story about why i believe in christmas magic Bear in mind, I was about eight or nine when this actually happened, and I've pieced it together from my mom and sister. In 1984-85, there was a strike in the coal mines in Britain. This affected a lot of people really badly, and some areas were hit really hard. At that point, we lived in a village where quite a lot of the men, including all of my uncles, who also lived in the village, worked down the mine, and they all came out on strike, my dad included. The strike started in May, I think, so by Christmas, things were getting pretty desperate. We were flat broke. No presents, no turkey, nothing like that. Don't ask me why, I don't know. 
At the time, I didn't know this. I just assumed I'd be getting presents, and there'd be a turkey, and it would be Christmas as usual. I should have realized something was amiss, because we'd not put any decorations up that year. Anyway, my dad had a sister who lived in the nearest town. They'd not spoken for some years because of some argument. I don't know the specifics. Nobody would tell me. Their family didn't work in the coal industry. They weren't well off, but they were doing better than us that year. We were surprised when on Christmas Eve there was a knock on the door, and it was her. She apparently told my dad that she couldn't bear to think of us not having a Christmas of some sort. She gave him some money so we could get some presents and a turkey. She told my dad it wasn't charity and it wasn't a loan, it was a gift. She also said that she would never mention it again, and he didn't have to thank her, and that if he, if he didn't want to talk to her, then he didn't have to. Then she got back in the car and she left. We didn't see her again. That year we had the smallest turkey and the least amount of presents. The house was the coldest it ever was. We were the poorest we ever were. It was the best Christmas ever. That was the year I saw Christmas magic. Hmm. Hey. Nice story. Good stories, guys. I did not find a, a story. <laughs> no. But that's okay, because you've got two very heartful stories. One from <laughs> a completely unexpected source, and another one that is also very good. Yeah. We'll leave it up to the, to the listeners to decide which one's which. <laughs> So here's here's the part where uh, I decided that we should have a new segment. Ooh. Ooh. Since this is the last episode we have before the new year, what one fandom do you want to tackle in the new year? Ooh. Huh. You only get one choice. Oh. One chance. Did not miss your opportunity to... Ah, you missed my opportunity. <laughs> don't throw away your shot oh no oh no i'm not throwing away my shot but i mean like one one chance once once in a lifetime chance so <sighs> eminem eight mile you know yeah i, I know we're all on I think we're all on that page <laughs> right i was flipping ahead a little bit and looking on uh on hamilton's page but uh yeah as well Is that your answer um no okay. no uh well there will be multiple seasons next year, so I think that there's a pretty good chance that we will see the Twin Peaks cast. Oh boy. Or rather the Twin Peaks episode. I'm going to have to watch all of Twin Peaks and then all of the new Twin Peaks. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Lee's yeah. been waiting for a long time. Yep. All right. So Z is all over the Twin Peaks cast. Yeah. Yep. See, the thing is, we all, you know. We're, we're, we tried to be very judicious in picking the topics this season. Mm-hmm. There was, it wasn't just, oh, these are the things we like, so we'll just do these. <laughs> yeah, because then we would have picked all sorts yeah. of different things. We tried. Like, we, different yeah, from what we yeah. picked. We tried to make yeah. a concerted effort to have, like, a variety of stuff, stuff that we weren't familiar with, yeah. some of us may have been familiar with, from different areas of fandom. Um, but means lying in wait. We all have those things that we really love that we really, really can't wait to talk about. Yeah. I think I think I'm looking forward to doing the Wrestling Fans podcast. Ooh. See, I, I knew that was on that list. <sighs> oh, for sure. I'm a I'm inescapably a diehard wrestling fan and I can't wait to see you guys get in get into it. <laughs> see what there is see what there is to uncover. There's 
I don't even know where, which way to go. There's so many ways to go. Man. On the outside, it may not seem like that. But... I yes. mean, I, I already know that there's more than one wrestling league, so that makes it... Your that head. already reveals potential avenues. Your head things. is going to explode. <laughs> <laughs> or at least mm. be pile-driven. <laughs> not uh, uh, Lariato. Exactly. Yeah, there we go. Um, what about you two? Uh, why did you have to turn the question back <laughs> on me? I was going to oh, segue What, what possibly could have told you in previous experience that I might turn the question back on you? <laughs> um, okay. There's a couple things wrestling around in my head, and I'm not really sure which one, but I only get one shot. Yep. I would say well, there's two things rattling around in my head. Let me try to remember what the other one is to see if I really want to go with it. You know what? I can't remember the other one. So we're going to... No, I got it. It was... Uh... <laughs> That's right. We're doing. You you know that we record these things live. <laughs> okay, I would probably go with tabletop role playing games. Why? Yeah. I was gonna go with cosplayers, and then I realized how inherently visual that thing is. And we will probably cover that. But I'm going with tabletop role playing games because I've always liked the combination of um, role playing. You know, putting yourself in character. Um, exploring a world that's created by somebody who's, you know, designing this world, presumably for your enjoyment. Mm -hmm. Um, And just like the fanish aspect of that, because it's a little bit of escapism. It's a little bit of like creativity. I don't know. I like when we tackle fandoms that are about people's creative efforts because they tend to be more interesting Mm -hmm. because they exist in and of themselves. That's true. They're not things that are solely dependent on the objects of whatever that's true so I'm, I'm looking forward to doing an episode on that not necessarily next season but in the new year okay okay listeners what fandoms would you like to hear us cover uh in the new year next season nick at the nickscast.com or hit us up on twitter at the nickscast uh, let us know really curious to see what people would like would like to hear us tackle yeah yeah, no fandom is too big or too small, and we are definitely going to get down to the why. Um, By the way, if the fandom is only you, <laughs> it's too it's too small. That's too specific. <laughs> <laughs> okay, in in light of the holiday season and the the goodness and the joy and the giving, I found a spotlight for this week that I think we can all agree is a great idea. Ooh. I agree. What is it? <laughs> You, you, uh, uh. <laughs> apparently okay cool this is the part where z edits in just like anything and then g agrees to it inherently um so um i was reading the mary sue and they posted this interesting article about help us save the internet which is one heck of a headline and was not actually clickbait oh so as you may know there is this fantastic website which i think z you've actually used for the podcast uh they host the Wayback Machine and generally are the archive of the internet. That's right. I'm talking about archive.org. Oh, yeah. Oh. Uh, archive.org keeps an archive of not only the internet, but a number of different sources. And I believe it keeps it in several different ways. Like, not th- not like you can see it on the internet in the Wayback Machine, mm-hmm. but they keep it in like cold, different storage mediums physically. At a location in San Francisco. I'm picturing that warehouse that has the Ark in it. <laughs> it is probably less impressive than that. And that is all the more important why you should donate 
to archive.org, which you can uh, you can go to archive.org slash donate to donate to that cause. They are actually trying to start up um, a mirror, which for those who are not tech savvy is just like like it sounds. It's a copy of all the existing data on archive.org mm. to start the Internet Archive of Canada. Ooh. Um, so those of you who are interested, you can check that out. Uh, they do allow you to make tax deductible donations. I'm not sure if that's mm. just for American citizens or Canadians as well. There is an FAQ about the new Canadian archive that is opening up, which I presume talks about tax deductible stuff for Canada. You know what? It doesn't matter. It's a good cause. So donate, <laughs> donate to archive.org. Help out the Wayback Machine. Keep the internet backed up for everybody. Useful for like everybody, anthropologists, mm-hmm. researchers. Just useful to like if you wanted to go back. Imagine that this podcast uh, went away in a hundred years or something, and somebody wanted to listen to it. You wouldn't have that option because it wouldn't exist anymore. But thanks to archive.org, you would be able to listen in all the while you uh, you traipsed through the oh, alkaline flats in your velocipede. So alkali? No, what? alkaline. They're al- they're alkaline. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Anyway, be, you, be you sure really don't want to go anywhere near the uh, the acidic mountains. What about yeah. the um, Candy Kingdom? Can I go there? Yeah, you yeah. can. And should yeah. Oh, that's a fandom we should cover. Ooh. Mm-hmm. No, ooh. <laughs> uh, huh, huh, huh. Ooh. Uh, yeah check out archive.org support a good cause it's giving season do good in the world joy to the world etc so this this is the part where we would normally plug a thing or do um next episode but we're not but, uh, so. we don't we don't know what the next episode is going to be yet mm-hmm. uh so tune in january 13th to find out Yes. Uh, season two of Phanthropological kicks off. Thank you for listening to season one. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode. Yep. Thanks. Stay tuned for an amazing new season in the new year. Yes. Hmm. All right. Thanks everybody for listening. And you can find us online at phanthropological.com. If the website's not your bag, you can also check us out on various social media. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, all at the next cast. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you'd like to email us, perhaps let us know fandoms you'd like to see us cover or the numerous things that we missed in an episode about a fandom that you belong to. Nick at the nickscast.com is a place to send all that stuff. You can also check us out on Podbean or the Podbean app. I suggest you do. And uh, until next time, remember, everyone's a fan. much better than where you live probably <laughs> not really i'm glad we recorded all that <laughs> uh, okay
It's recorded for posterity. Uh, I assume what you guys were saying was really entertaining. Yeah. Good. It's like jazz. You got to listen to what we weren't saying. I was doing that already. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Roughly, how do we want to proceed?